Hi, I'm Alan Alexandrov, and I'm the director of the Global Summitry Project. All of the activities of the Global Summitry Project can be found at our website, globalsummitryproject.com, and there you will see the work uh, that researchers and thought leaders are providing on uh, the China and the West dialogue, the um, uh, global summitry activity, global order activity, and uh, a project now on uh, achieving Agenda 2030. You also find there three podcast series, the Summit Dialogue, Shaking the Global Order, and uh, the Now series. And of course, you will find at uh, the website our e-journal, Global Summitry, and increasingly new videos uh, that we um, introduce various thought leaders on a whole variety of subjects on global order. It is my pleasure today to bring back into the studio, the virtual studio, um, John Eikenberry uh, from Princeton University. Uh, John is the Albert G. Milbank Professor of Politics and International Affairs at Princeton in the Department of Politics and the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs. He is also the co-director of Princeton's Center for International Security Studies. John is best known for uh, the various books he has uh, written on uh, the global order. Uh, in particular, his most recent has received a great deal of attention, A World Safe for Democracy, Liberal Internationalism, and the Crises of the Global Order, and that's Yale University Press uh, 2020. But he's also known for his book, Liberal Leviathan, and After Victory as well. So it's a real pleasure to bring into the virtual studio once again um, uh, John Eikenberry, and this is uh, Shaking the Global Order, Series 2, Episode 8, uh, on the impact of recent American foreign policy on shaping the global order. So it's a real pleasure to welcome you back into the virtual studio, John. It's so good to have you with us. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be here. All right. So uh, I'd like to explore uh, American, current American foreign policy, but do that. Let me take you back for uh, just a, a wee bit uh, to uh, look at the uh, previous administration. Uh, I think we should start with the consequences of Trump and his people on the liberal uh, international order. In 2018, you wrote this in an article in International Affairs. Today, the liberal international order is in crisis. For the first time since the 1930s, the United States has elected a president who is actively hostile to liberal internationalism. Trade, alliances, international law, multilateralism, environment, torture, and human rights. On all these issues, President Trump has made uh, that, uh, has, if acted upon, would effectively bring to an end America's role as a leader in the world, in the liberal world order. Now, Trump failed to get reelected and was replaced, obviously, by uh, Joe Biden, who's current president. We have seen the Biden administration conducting American foreign policy now for close to a year. 
And what I wanted to start with is what have you seen as the Biden foreign policy impact on the liberal international order, especially given that he's following from Donald Trump? Well, it's a great question. I, I think that the Biden turn has been a very positive one, given the what I would describe as the disaster of Donald Trump. Uh, Trump was clearly uh, um, in a in a more fulsome way than we might have thought, because there's a lot of craziness and incompetence. But there was a, a real kind of conviction that America's liberal project, that America's role in the world, uh, building alliances and multilateral cooperation to solve global problems was in some sense bad for America. And that was, of course, at the heart of America First doctrine. So there was coherence at that level that that the the, the Trump agenda was to, to, to tear down and to pull back and to reassert nationalism and unilateralism. Uh, and so uh, I think Biden is clearly of the older view that the U.S. has a constructive role to play in the world, that America does well when it uh, and does good at the same time. Uh, it, it can create uh, cooperation and facilitate uh, uh, cooperation and advance its own interests at the same time. Um, uh, I think that uh, rejoining the Paris peace, uh, the Paris climate uh, agreement, uh, um, re-engaging with Iran, uh, reaffirming alliances, bringing human rights back, um, uh, 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 broadly speaking, uh, uh, offering a vision of cooperation among the world's expanding, but in some ways expanding, uh, world of democracy, other ways retrenching uh, world of democracies. So in all those different mm -hmm. ways, uh, Biden is, 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 is coming back to the 75-year playbook of American foreign policy of, of liberal-oriented leadership uh, uh, around alliances and partnerships. Biden at the UN speech that he gave in, uh, in uh, late September, his annual UN speech uh, mentioned uh, um, alliances eight time and times and partnerships 16 times. So this is the, the core, I think, part of the, the vision. Um, I, I think there's, there's, there's a, also a kind of underlying uh, quite, uh, uh, quite deep critique of where America is and where the world is at this moment. That's not just simply returning to pre-Trump. I think there's a sense that the crises are are more structural and deep and pre-existed pre uh, uh, Trump. Uh, obviously, the power transition with China, uh, the planetary crises uh, of COVID and, and uh, climate change, and then the crisis of liberal democracy. Uh, in that sense, I do think Biden feels that unlike the previous few decades of American foreign policy after the Cold War, we really are more at an FDR moment, that there's a sense that, that the underlying uh, polities that, we, are, that we, we inhabit, our liberal democratic societies, are themselves um, at, at a turning point. And we need to, to think about not just rebuilding the world order, but rebuilding uh, the social contract and what social democracy delivers. So in all that way, I think the Biden team kind of knows where we are. I would say they have a, their eyes are wide open. I, I don't know whether they can deliver. 
Uh, well, <clears throat> let, me, let me take you to current events, I suppose. Uh, so very early on, when Biden was running for president, he called for a summit for democracy. And indeed, the summit was held last uh, week. Um, Yasha Munk from uh, Johns Hopkins, uh, thinking about the summit, wrote this, uh, having, having, you know, kind of contemplated what Biden was up to. So the president and his senior officials can't do much about the United States' uh, diminishing standing in the world, the global resurgence of autocracy, the need to pursue competing foreign policy objectives that are also of genuine importance um, uh, you know, to, um, <clears throat> uh, to the United States. Donald Trump's lies about the U.S. election. Uh, and his continued hold, obvious uh, continued hold over the Republican Party. Uh, but the administration nonetheless faces a reckoning itself, right? Over the past year, it has become amply evident that the business as usual will do precious little to help it keep its promises on democracy. Going forward, it should either commit to a more ambitious strategy or stop pretending. Um, so isn't the problem, John, that among other things, allies are hesitant to rely on the United States, given the continuing presence of Donald Trump in American uh, politics and uh, his hold over the Republican Party um, and the Republican Party seemingly uh, committed to many of Donald Trump's lies about the last election? Absolutely. I, I think that we are kind of dancing on a precipice. I, I, I... I, I could easily imagine, as you could, that in uh, less than three years, we could be back to uh, Trump 2.0, and it could be worse. And uh, I think the world knows that. And they, there's a real hedging uh, in Europe and mm -hmm. Asia around the world that, that, that maybe Biden is more of an interlude. And I, I'm sure that's, that's a worry inside of the White House. Uh, uh, and you're trying to think, how can we succeed so that we strengthen our position uh, for the next election. And that that's partly why I think on trade and some issues where where the US seems to be less internationalist, less less of a global leader, it's 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 kind of flinching because it, it doesn't want to lose uh, precious uh, percentage points domestically uh, in the Midwest in the Rust Belt. It, it uh, it's it's it has more of a nationalist uh, tinge to to its uh, trade policy. And I think more generally, th th it reduces the ability of, 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 of Biden to, to lead. Um, and, and so in the end, I think 10, 15 years from now, when we look back at this moment, what will determine whether we're on a pathway of renewal and revival or not will, will be determined by domestic politics, whether we've found a way to to reestablish a kind of equilibrium between our parties, to to to, to hive off the extremists uh, from one of our two parties, uh, uh, find a kind of uh, a, a center of gravity uh, at you know a vital center as as remember when we talked about that uh, during the Cold War, Arthur, Arthur Schlesinger, a kind of vital center where uh, an activist government, uh, uh, an internationalist foreign policy. Uh, a, a broad coalition uh, from the center and the center left and the center right. Um, uh, I think until we find a, a way to come back to that, I, I, I do think the uh, U.S. is going to be a hobbled international leader. 
and it's very hard to to make good on 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 what I think are very very sincere um, efforts to 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 strengthen the democratic coalition. But in the end, it's it's what democracies do and how they rebuild themselves that will be more important than the coalitions, the meetings, the summits that uh, mm-hmm. that are being being put out there. Okay, so uh, now I presume that the you know that the summit for democracy, just as a concept, fits reasonably well for you with respect to liberal internationalism. But the question I kind of am posing uh, in a way is, how does it fit with the liberal international order? You made clear in the most recent book you've done, making um, it safe for democracy, liberal uh, internationalism and making it safe for democracy, that there's a distinction you take now between liberal internationalism and the liberal international order. These are distinct um, ideas. Um, so the question is, does it fit? I mean, having this summit for democracy, which is going to, uh, you know, apparently uh, reoccur a year from now, and it's very evident that many of the members of the global order are not part of of the gathering, right? So, no, the Chinas aren't there. Um, you know, Russia isn't there. Um, and there are others, and of course, then you get really strange things like Singapore not being. Uh, there, that really struck me as odd, but but more generally, that it really divides the world. Well, I, uh, yes and no. I mean, I think that I like the idea, as you can imagine, because I've sure. written a book and studied for for really decades uh, how liberal democracies have made their way in the world uh, uh, over the long term, over the last two hundred years, but also after World War II, and. And there, there has been uh, a, a creative and constructive impulse that liberal democracies democracies have had over the decades and, and centuries to 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 engage in cooperative organization of the international system, uh, attempting to create um, levels and layers of, of of infrastructure that supports liberal democracy that that creates capacity for cooperation. So uh, the the idea of 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 a of a kind of subset of countries that are co- that come together because they are 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 not simply uh, sovereign Westphalian states in anarchy, but they are states that want to build a more a more a complex and elevated system uh, with social purposes that 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 uh, reflect and reaffirm and support uh, their polity principles that are not universal that are not shared by countries. That are not liberal democracies. So that is, I think, genuinely a progressive step. And I think one needs to be able to do that, bring countries that share values, interests, and capacities to drive global organization and cooperation together with the broader um, secular uh, Westphalian. order that that the entire world as in all of its scale and scope inhabit. So I think we need to create uh, capacities for countries that don't share much, like like uh, democracies and non-democracies or the US and China in, in various ways, but also uh, 
not only do that, but create space for these countries that I think Biden has in mind when he's talking about this democracy uh, summit to, to, to come together and figure out how they can do better and, 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 and uh, try to survive uh, in, in a period when liberal democracy is in retreat. So, uh, so that's safety, survival, protection, um, uh, cooperative organization. These are things that, that come out of the liberal democratic experience, going back all the way to, to the age of democratic revolutions. Uh, there's always been an internationalism tied to liberal democracy. And it's, it's been a positive force in the world because it's been layered on top of uh, more global movements for self-determination, for, for sovereign statehood, for Westphalian uh, level kind of United, United Nations uh, supported universal governance. So I, I think, think layers, think uh, groupings, uh, 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 alignments, coalitions, that's, that's, the, that's world politics in the 21st century. And you, you should be able to, on Monday, talk with fellow democracies, and on Tuesday, have a summit with China. You, you don't have to make choices in that sense. You, you, you have problems that you want to solve with China, but you have other problems and pro opportunities that you want to take up with, with countries that are more, uh, more like-minded. So I, I think we have to be comfortable doing both. Okay, so I guess the question is, but the, the you know the rise in tensions between the U.S. and China and the geopolitical tensions more broadly have seemingly intruded on the global governance elements and and it, even I would presume on uh, democracy uh, promotion because increasingly what the Biden administration is talking about is not democracy promotion but democracy protection. Yes. Right. So we see a world that is more divided, more split into blocks than has been than certainly has been the case, uh, uh, certainly since the end of the Cold War. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the United States and its allies feel like they're on the defensive and China is a is a threatening presence. And 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 there's been this broad, broad based kind of disillusionment with China. Uh, even mm -hmm. by those of us who have been historically <laughs> very much interested in visualizing a world in which China and the United States are 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 work together and uh, stakeholder kind mm -hmm. of leadership, um, uh, somehow that pathway was not traveled by by China and the liberal bet uh, 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 didn't uh, pan out uh, uh, under President Xi. China has has become more autocratic, more authoritarian. Um, uh, I think for me, the, the, the attack on democracy in Hong Kong really has been a, a kind of a sobering moment. Uh, uh, obviously the intimidation of Taiwan, uh, which of course China sees as a civil war, so it's none of our business. Um, the uh, movement in the South China Sea, building and claiming territory, um, uh, so I think there's a lot to worry about, but again, I think China feels on the defensive too, and that's and that's of course when we have to think creatively about how one looks for ways to solve security dilemma problems, to to uh, 
to to engage each other. Um, uh, I, I don't see a cold war. I, I do see competition. I, I see a kind of comprehensive uh, a strategic competition because increasingly under President Xi, there is a, a conviction, I think, being articulated that China is putting out to the world, uh, for the world, a, 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 a non-liberal, non-democratic vision of modernity. Uh, and so therein lies the challenge. And I, I think that could be a kind of clarifying move in world historical terms that it doesn't have to be a cold war, but it does suggest the stakes in the competition are high. Will, will we have uh, an international order that protects uh, uh, the kinds of uh, values that that are inside of the liberal democratic world world vision, uh, rights and rule of law, civil society, uh, all the sorts of things that we associate with that way of, of of thinking about development and modernity, and China with its with its different vision, and mm -hmm. uh, so let the competition begin. I think. Uh, to the extent that both countries see their leadership hinging on being constructive, being uh, respected, being problem solvers, uh, starting with climate change, the, what the competition can be uh, perhaps constructive. Uh, uh, each wants to be the best it can be. Each wants to to make friends and influence people around the world. So that requires not just coercion, but, but, a, but a kind of enlightened form of, of leadership. So I hope that, that uh, the rise of China brings the best out of the United States, and I hope it works the other way around as well. Okay. So uh, looking at it in possibly more structural terms, just to, to get a final kind of view, so it would seem, and you can correct me, it would seem that the thin order that you talked about around 2019 and so forth, which saw much more, and if I can use involved sense of, of China and others that are non-democratic, illiberal, is, is seemingly is, is fading away. And, uh, you, you know, maybe the summit for democracy underpins something which is much more of a, a thick order, but a much more, um, you know, uh, limited order um, uh, that that exists within the kind of the big global order space. Is that is that what we have to look forward to in terms of kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, liberal, not so much liberal internationalism, but more global order kinds of framing? Is that is that where we're heading? I've come to. Uh, to the view that one needs to work on on thickening the liberal order as a subsystem, and and, and mm -hmm. as you know, Alan, in my book, I argue that the the great success of liberal order was uh, when it was, in some sense, uh, configured like a club, where to be in it was to get benefits, uh, intergovernmental capacities for problem solving, managing interdependence security, trade, access, all the sorts of things that are, are kind of uh, akin to a, a kind of mutual aid society uh, uh, inside of a, of, a, of a wider world with a lot of, lot of tyranny and, and intolerance and anarchy. So inside that wider world, you have this club of, of countries 
uh, and that kind of got uh, taken down by the end of the Cold War. Ironically, at the moment of of seeming uh, triumph at, in the end of the Cold War, the the liberal mm -hmm. orders foundations were eroding, and it became a kind of come all, uh, get what you want, uh, take mm -hmm. selectively from the liberal order. And the, the idea of conditionality, of, of buying into a suite of purposes, um, uh, kind of broke down and, and the, the bargains, uh, because liberal order, as IR theorists uh, have talked about it, it, it has a kind of, uh, you know, hegemonic, you know, the, it's the Kindleberger uh, thesis that, that it's, it mm -hmm. doesn't, it's not natural, it's not automatic, it's not, uh, it doesn't generate spontaneously through mutual advantage. It, it takes leadership. It takes bargains. It takes, uh, to some extent, uh, uh, great power, uh, great power capacity to, to bend and, and pull, push and pull countries into a, a cooperative system. And, mm -hmm. and uh, that, that kind of broke down and China uh, got a lot. And, and indeed, we should celebrate the fact that under this post a war period of Pax Americana, China had its best decades. Uh, hundreds of millions of Chinese were pulled out of poverty, uh, um, uh, and so there's a, there's a lot to to say uh, about what was good about the the 1990s and onward. But we lost the kind of foundations, and so I do think uh, mm -hmm. I'm more of the view now than I was when we talked uh, five, ten years ago that that we need to build reconstitute that club in some sense. Uh, and and that means more uh, more of a subsystem, uh, uh, but uh, again, to repeat what I said earlier, I think that that has to be done simultaneously with uh, a kind of global imaginary where we think about what what humanity needs to do to survive the 21st century, and that and that's a bigger that's not just a democracy club uh, project, but that's a global uh, project and. Mm -hmm. We're going to need, we're going to need everybody on that one. So I, I think we have to do both. We have to be globalists, but we also have to be uh, uh, club oriented. Okay. Well, that's, that's the future we're going to hold you to for the moment. And uh, it, it's a pleasure as always to talk to you and get a sense of where you think the, the global order currently is. So thank you, John, for uh, joining us uh, today. Thank you, Alan. We'll, we'll compare notes uh, and see where we are in a few years. <laughs>